Welcome to the Money Metals Midweek Memo. News and commentary relating to sound money, the precious metals markets, and the economy. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. The weatherman told me it is going to be sunny and warm today. In fact, the sun is shining right outside my window right now. So I've got my raincoat and my umbrella at the ready. Wait a minute, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Seems kind of backward. Well, that's exactly how the markets are reacting to economic news these days. Good news is bad news, and bad news is good news. We live in an upside-down world. Think about it, though. Get a good jobs report. The stock market tanks. Get a good GDP print. The stock market tanks. Strong retail sales? The stock market tanks. Strong manufacturing data? Well, yeah, the stock market tanks. And how do you get the stock market to rally in this topsy-turvy world? Well, just throw out a little bad economic news. Unemployment goes up. Woo! Stocks will surge. Now, this is all related to the Fed's inflation fight. You know, there's this Keynesian myth out there that is embraced by most of the mainstream economic world that a strong economy actually causes price inflation. If you have a lot of people working, you're going to get inflation. So you need to slow the economy down. You've got to slow down economic growth in order to bring down price inflation. So in this context, good economic news is bad because it means the Fed will need to keep interest rates higher for longer in order to keep price inflation at bay, to continue the inflation fight, to keep the economy slowing down, or else we're just going to get more inflation, right? Now, this is all absurd. People working and producing stuff does not cause price inflation. A strong economy does not cause price inflation. Printing money creates price inflation. You know, inflation properly defined is an expansion of the money supply. Generally rising prices, when all prices are going up, price inflation, that is a symptom of monetary inflation. So you getting a job doesn't cause price inflation. The Fed printing money out of thin air and the government borrowing and spending money That's what causes price inflation. But you see, the powers that be have intentionally shifted the definition of inflation. They have redefined inflation, which is money creation. They've redefined it as a symptom of inflation. So today, when anybody says inflation, they're just talking about rising prices, which is a symptom of actual money creation or actual inflation. Economist Ludwig von Mises did a really good job of explaining the problem with this definition shift. He wrote, People today use the term inflation to refer to the phenomenon that is an inevitable consequence of inflation, that is, the tendency of all prices and wage rates to rise. The result of this deplorable confusion is that there is no term left to signify the cause of of this rise in prices and wages. There is no longer any word available to signify the phenomenon that has up to now been called inflation. 
As you cannot talk about something that has no name, you cannot fight it. Those who pretend to fight inflation are in fact only fighting what is the inevitable consequence of inflation, rising prices. Their ventures are doomed to failure because they do not attack the root of the evil. They try to keep prices low while firmly committed to a policy of increasing the quantity of money that must necessarily make them soar. As long as this terminological confusion is not entirely wiped out, there cannot be any question of stopping inflation. We see this playing out every single day today. The Fed is fighting price inflation, and yet the markets are clamoring for a return to inflationary policies. That's what this is all about. They want interest rates to be artificially low. They want the Fed to run quantitative easing and buy bonds and manipulate the bond market. They want the inflation. So they're fighting what they're actually asking for. Of course, this ripples into the precious metals markets. Good news tanks gold because everybody thinks the Fed will keep interest rates higher for longer. And gold is usually considered or higher interest rates are usually considered a headwind for gold because gold is a non-yielding asset. So as interest rates are staying higher for longer, people think, well, we don't need gold as long as the Fed is fighting inflation. I'm actually kind of surprised that gold has held up as well as it has over the last couple of weeks, given all of the positive economic news out there and Jerome Powell's hawkish open mouth operations at last week's Fed meeting. And I'm going to get into that here later in this show. But regardless, we saw this kind of sell-off over the last week or so. After the hawkish Fed meeting, we got the ridiculous jobs report claiming that the economy created 353,000 new jobs. That was a huge beat of the expectation. Now, I find it difficult to believe that anybody believes this report, but that's what the Bureau of Labor Statistics said, and I guess that's what the market heard. I honestly don't even know how to analyze the jobs data in any realistic way. It's it's almost like they're just making this stuff up. None of it makes any sense. For instance, the establishment survey, that's the headline that gets all the attention. It showed that big jump in new jobs. But the household survey, which is a different way of looking at unemployment, it showed a big drop in jobs. So which do we believe? It's also interesting to note that all of those new jobs that showed up in the establishment survey actually came from seasonal adjustments. If you get rid of the seasonal adjustments, payrolls actually shrank. In other words, they got a number and then they tinkered with it to make it bigger. Now, was that tinker justified and legitimate? Maybe. Am I justified in being a little bit skeptical of the government manipulating numbers? Yeah, I think I am. My gut is that there are a lot of new jobs out there and that that's due to people taking on extra work and part-time jobs to make ends meet. And we've seen that in the data as well. We've seen a big jump in people holding multiple jobs. We've seen a big rise in the number of part-time jobs. We've seen a big increase in low-paying jobs like in the restaurant sector. This tells me that a lot of this job creation is people taking on extra work, trying to make make ends meet. You know, every time some poor schmuck has to start delivering pizzas at night in order to pay his rent or his bills, that counts as a new job. Now, 
it's a new job and, and you get a whole bunch of people delivering pizzas and it's going to look like the economy is growing, like jobs are increasing, but it certainly doesn't scream great economy, now does it? I'm equally skeptical of the GDP growth. You know, I was reading the other day that in the latest GDP calculation, the number crunchers drastically decreased the adjustment for inflation. They call it the deflator. So in other words, they decided inflation is way lower now. And so that means the GDP, the nominal dollar growth, reflects more actual economic growth and less inflation. Now, Sorry, that seems sketchy to me. I mean, sure, price inflation isn't increasing like it was last year, but gone? No, I don't think so. In my view, I really think the economy is just kind of slugging along. I mean, it's not bad right now, and I'm not saying that it is. It's kind of like room temperature oatmeal. You know, you can eat it if you have to, but you don't really want to. But as I talked about in last week's show, I know that the foundation of the economy is broken. Broken. It's slugging along now, but it is broken. And I know that breakage is going to manifest itself in the not-too-distant future. I know this debt-riddled economy can't keep slugging along with interest rates this high. The collapse is looming. I'm convinced of that. It's just a matter of time. And if you didn't already listen to last week's show, please do, because I explain my thinking in detail and the principles behind the boom-bust business cycle. I explain that in depth, so it kind, of, it kind of underscores why I think what I think. But the markets, they don't get this at all. I mean, they tend to take data at face value, and let's be honest, the markets are operating on almost a day-to-day basis. You know, it's it, they swing back and forth based on the news of the day. There really isn't any real long-term analysis out there in the mainstream. I mean, some people clearly are, are doing that, but for the most part, it's like, oh, today the Fed said it's not going to raise interest rates in March. Oh, no. Or, you know, whatever economic data point happens to be the thing of the day. That's what's moving the markets. So, you know, they, I think they also tend to trust the number crunchers. You know, they look at the GDP growth and they say, well, the economy's booming. And, I think they really do believe that the Fed has miraculously slayed inflation and is now guiding us to the mythical soft economic landing. Anyway, so that's that's kind of where I feel like we are at this point in the cycle. But back to this whole good news is bad news things. What's up with that? Well, it reveals just what's driving this economy. It's not fundamentals. It's not economic growth. If it was, good news would be, well, good news. Markets would rally on good economic data because good economic data should mean strong earnings and good times ahead, right? So why is the market selling off every time we get good news? Well, it's because easy money is the driving force behind this economy, not economic growth. All they really care about, deep down in their heart of hearts, is the easy money. And the markets are deathly afraid they aren't going to get their easy money drug back if the economy remains strong. Most people out there don't give a rip about real economic growth or fundamentals or earnings or any of that stuff. They want the funny money, and they want a lot of it. They want low interest rates. They want money printing. The entire economy is built on it. You know, it's kind of like a drunk at the bar. He didn't want to be cut off. Keep that booze flowing. 
I mean, yeah, at some level, he knows he's going to regret it in the morning, but as long as he can keep the buzz going, as long as the party's roaring along, he's happy as a clam. Well, unfortunately, the Fed, the bartender, kind of looked over and said, oh, this guy's had a few too many. So the Fed closed the bar down last year because, well, the drunk got too drunk, and now he's sobered up and he wants to get the party started again. But as long as things are kind of good... The bartender has that liquor cabinet locked down. Because you see, the bartender knows the drunk is actually an alcoholic. He really needs to detox. We all know that the booze is eventually going to kill him. But the bartender also knows he's not really going to be happy until the alcohol is flowing again. And at some point, you know, the bartender likes a good party too. He's going to relent. So... If you haven't figured it out, the booze is artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing in this silly little analogy. The point is, the whole system is messed up. If you ever had an intimate experience with an alcoholic, you get what I'm saying. The only way to fix an alcoholic is to get them completely off the sauce. Forever. The only way you're ever going to have a healthy, functioning economy is to let the market set the cost of money. Because that's really what interest rates are, right? They're the price of money. It's a price like any other price. But the powers that be, they can't keep their grubby paws off because, well, quite frankly, it benefits the political class to control the money. It allows them to borrow and spend and, and gives them power. I've, I've said this often. The Federal Reserve and its monetary policy is the engine that drives the biggest government in the history of the world. But imagine what would happen to, I don't know, let's say the cell phone market or the tennis shoe market if the government and bankers could just willy-nilly set the price. It would be an and a complete disaster, right? Well, that's exactly what's happening to your money today. So you can probably expect this good news, bad news yo-yo in the markets to keep right on going. This is what you should expect until the crisis becomes clear. Right now, everybody believes Powell and company when they say everything is fine. Speaking of that, Fed Chair Jerome Powell did an interview with 60 Minutes that aired on Sunday, and he talked a little bit about the problems in the commercial real estate market. Now, if you listened to my show last week, you know I discussed this as well. I believe it's a sector that could potentially set off a 2008 light financial crisis or worse. But Powell, he assured us during this interview that everything is fine. Now, he did concede that some smaller and regional banks with, quote, concentrated exposures in commercial real estate, he said they are, quote, challenged. But he said he wasn't concerned about these problems spreading into the broader banking system as the subprime crisis did back in 2008. Powell is basically channeling then-Fed Chair Ben Bernanke circa 2007. In March of that year, Bernanke insisted that subprime was, quote, contained, and he repeated that message throughout the year. I'll link to an article in the show notes page um, that has some of these full quotes from Bernanke back in 2007, assuring us that everything is fine. Of course, we all know what happened in 2008, a year after all of Bernanke's assurances. I sure do hope Powell's promises aren't equally empty. Of course, 
Powell's track record already is less than stellar, right? I still have it. Inflation is transitory echoing around in my head. So before I close out the show, I want to touch on last week's Federal Reserve meeting. It really underscores my point that the real driver of this goofy economy is Fed monetary policy, not actual economic activity. Now, the Federal Reserve didn't do anything at the FOMC meeting in January. Policy didn't change at all. But Jerome Powell aggressively ran what I like to call open-mouth operations, trying to dampen market expectations for a rate cut at the March meeting. This Fed talk, open-mouth operations, it moves markets, at least in the short term, just as forcefully as concrete policy changes. Now, it doesn't really, it doesn't doesn't at all change the actual trajectory of the economy. It doesn't actually do anything, but it does get into people's heads, and it moves markets in the short run. So the central bankers at the Fed use messaging as a policy tool. That's what last Wednesday was all about. Powell and company released enough hawks to slow the market's roll, but let just enough doves fly to prevent a complete market meltdown. So the first message out of this FOMC meeting was that rate hikes are over. That's pretty clear. The committee made it clear by removing language from its official statement. For months, the FOMC statement has included the phrase, quote, in determining the extent of any additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account dot, dot, dot. In the latest statement, the committee removed all mention of additional policy firming. So that implies that we're not expecting any additional policy firming. Instead, the statement reads, in considering any adjustments to the target range for the federal funds rate, the committee will carefully assess incoming data. So this clearly signals that the the next move, uh, you know, the uh, adjustments in policy are going to be rate cuts. It's going to be interest rates coming down. During the post-meeting news conference, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell confirmed that the central bank has likely reached the peak of the hiking cycle. He said, quote, We believe that our policy rate is likely at its peak for the tightening cycle, and that if the economy evolves broadly as expected, it will likely be appropriate to begin dialing back policy restraint at some point this year. But Powell also made it clear, we ain't getting rate cuts in March. And that's what everybody expected. Everybody was anticipating March rate cuts. So Powell's saying, yeah, you're going to get your rate cuts, but you're not getting them in March. We're going to open the bar back up, but we're not opening it up tonight. He emphasized that the committee may need additional signs that inflation is easing before it begins, quote, dialing back the restrictive level and cutting rates. And again, I mentioned last week that monetary policy isn't actually restrictive if you look at the Chicago Fed's own monetary uh, conditions index. It's telling us that conditions are actually still historically loose. So we're really still kind of inflationary. But I mean, I guess given the amount of debt in the in the economy, 5.5% interest rates is if not restrictive, at least uh, impactful on this economy. 
Regardless, the markets were not pleased with this messaging. All of the major stock indices fell significantly on Wednesday after the FOMC meeting and Powell's comments. The Dow Jones dropped 318 points. That was a 0.8% decline. The S&P 500 fell 1.6%. Meanwhile, the NASDAQ, uh, being the most hungry for easy money and speculation, it tumbled by 2.2% on Wednesday. And then, of course, we got the dollar strengthening. We got the uh, uh, the gold selling off, a modest sell-off in gold. I mentioned this before. I am kind of surprised that gold has not sold off more sharply with all of this hawkishness and all of this good economic data. We're still holding firmly above the $2,000 an ounce mark. I think some of it has to do with safe haven buying. We've still got the situation in the Middle East. I think maybe there are a lot of people out there really that, that kind of are starting to get this. They understand that rate cuts are coming. They understand that we cannot maintain this interest rate level given all of the debt. And so gold is holding its ground here. Um, Again, I don't think you should expect any kind of big breakout in gold unless we really start to see the crisis manifesting. But for now, we're holding at that $2,000 support level slightly above that. So I guess that's a good thing if if you've got uh, money invested in the price of gold. So... You know, as you know, all of this has been the typical knee-jerk market reaction to any hawkish rhetoric from the Fed or any good economic news that might lead to more hawkish rhetoric from the Fed over the last year. Again, it reveals just how much they depend on monetary policy. The hope for a return to the easy money seat, the easy money policies of the past almost entirely drove the recent stock market boom. So I mean, basically what I'm saying here is the markets want inflation. They don't want too much inflation. They don't want you to notice the inflation, right? They don't want you to go to the grocery store and say, oh my gosh, this this is ridiculous. But they want inflation. And that's the whole problem. That's why we had an inflation crisis. They could no longer convince you that it was transitory, right? They could no longer gaslight you into thinking all of this is fine. So they had to do something. So what they're hoping for is that they can get inflation enough under control so you won't notice anymore. That's the bottom line. But the markets want inflation. The government wants inflation. I think the Fed wants inflation. And it's important to remember that any pivot back to rate cuts, whenever that happens, that means a return to the very policies that caused price inflation to begin with. It will never be a victory over inflation. It will be a surrender. Any quote-unquote victory over inflation that involves a return to easy money really means waving the white flag at inflation. As I explained earlier, easy money policies are inflationary by definition. That's what markets are begging for. And make no mistake, they're going to get their easy money. Here's the reality that I'm I'm going to keep hammering on this over and over again. If you listen to me, if you followed me for any amount of time, you know I keep hammering on these couple of points. Rate cuts and more inflation 
are hurtling down the tracks. It's just a matter of time. And it might be a long time. You know, I, I, I hearken back often to the trajectory of things in 2006, 2007, 2008. You'll notice that there were concerns about the subprime mortgage market in 2007 that all the, you know, all the pundits, all the Fed people, all the government people were saying, oh, no, this is fine. It's contained. No problem. And then the bottom fell out. Right now, everybody's saying, oh, everything's fine. Commercial real estate's contained. No problems. Banking crisis contained. Everything's great. It's not great, but it's not bad yet. But it's coming. I'm going to keep hammering on this over and over again. That probably is my central message at this point. But it's coming. And I'm not talking about, you know, some little rate cuts here. I'm talking about interest rates going back to zero. And I'm talking about more quantitative easing, more bond purchases and money printing. Because that's what the Fed does during an economic crisis. It's the fork they know. So if you really step back and look at the situation... It's pretty clear that the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, it knows that higher interest rates will eventually cause the, the economy to collapse. It also knows that inflation hasn't been beat. So these guys face a choice, right? They can take higher inflation or they can have an economic crisis. Or I don't know, why not both? The central bank right now is trying to walk a tightrope high over Wall Street with no safety net, and it's not going to end well, so be prepared. And along those lines, you might want to think about silver. I posted an article earlier this week over at moneymetals.com news about the projection for higher silver demand in 2024. In fact, they're expecting silver demand to hit the second highest level in history in the coming year. Now, silver is way underpriced given the supply and demand dynamics. This is evident when you look at the gold-silver ratio that's currently hovering around 90 to 1. In effect, this is silver on sale. Historically, that gold-silver ratio has been kind of between 40 to 1 and 60 to 1. So we're at 90 to 1. It's way out of whack right now. And when it gets way out of whack, historically, it has snapped back to that mean pretty violently. And it's important to remember that with silver, it typically rallies along with gold. So when you have a gold bull market, you typically have a silver bull market. But silver actually often outperforms gold. It closes that that gold-silver ratio gap, historically, during a gold bull run. So if you're expecting gold to really rally when the crisis hits, when the inflation comes back, if you really expect that, then silver might even be a better bet. So if you're thinking about precious metals to hedge your portfolio against an economic crisis or more Fed inflation creation, it's probably a good time to silver to consider silver because, again, silver is on sale. I'll link to that article on the show notes page, and you can get more details on exactly what's going on with this silver market. You can also just call Money Metals. 800-800-1865. You can talk to one of our, our reps. They're fantastic, knowledgeable. They'll answer your questions. They'll help you see how precious metals could fit into your investment portfolios to talk to you about different products that are available. You can also just go online. You can chat online. You can shop online over at moneymetals.com. 
highly encourage you to do it. Uh, I saw an article the other day about gold scammers and the importance of finding reputable dealers when it comes to buying precious metals. Money Metals is a reputable dealer. I would not be working with them if they weren't. So that is a wrap for this episode of Money Metals Midweek Memo. You can get more information about everything that I've talked about and more over at moneymetals.com slash news. You can subscribe to this podcast along with our Friday Market Wrap podcast that we put out every Friday. You can subscribe to both of those on your favorite podcasting platforms. Make sure you get on our email list. You can sign up uh, for it on our website and you'll get great emails that will put this kind of news right in your email box uh, on on a, at least every other day basis. So check that out. Sign up for that email list. We've got like over a million people that currently get our emails. And uh, again, make sure you turn into our Market Wrap pop podcast on Friday. I really appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can email me, Mike.Mahari at moneymetals.com. And I'd love to hear from folks. So again, have a great week and I will talk to you next week.